I have, because uh, I'm kind of nerdy this way, I've been thinking about um, prosperity, prosperity theology. I know you're like, what prosperity theology? Especially in light of our, our text, because you know in America, we sort of live in a culture, um, uh, Christian culture, that because of our freedoms and, and resources that says this, says that if we love and follow Jesus, it's, it's kind of required for him to bless us with a good life and a safe life and a, a prosperous life. And so as I was thinking about this thing called prosperity theology, I thought, well, I, I probably need to get a definition up there. I needed to work through it again. I mean, I've studied it, I've looked at it, but I think for all of us to look at, so I've got this kind of working definition up there. Prosperity theology basically says that um, it's a religious belief among some Christians who hold that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them, and that faith, positive speech, and donations to religious causes, um, the Noah Epstein College Fund would be nice, will increase one's material wealth, Lee and Ruth's 401k, and prosperity theology views the Bible as a contract between God and humans. If humans have faith in God, he is required to deliver security and prosperity. And this is what I was thinking about. Apparently, this prosperity theology didn't, didn't apply to Jesus, you, you see, as Jesus con contemplates his, his upcoming death somewhat early on in his ministry, he says this in Luke chapter 9 and verse 22, the Son of Man, a reference, an Old Testament reference to himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be, be raised to life. And in his, his final hours... Uh, he suffered horribly. In rapid sequence, the Bible says that Jesus was arrested and he faced a number of illegal trials. He was, he was punched in the face, spit in the face, ridiculed, taunted, insulted. And then to top it all off, they took a crown of thorns and they said, look, look, there's your king. And they didn't gently place it on his head, but they jammed it on his skull until he bled. You think, wow, does it get much worse? Well, it did. He was then let out to be scourged. You say, what is scourged? Well, a scourge was a vicious whip, and it was often called a cat of nine tails. It had nine pieces of leather attached to this whip, and at the end of each piece of leather, there was sharp pieces of bone. It would rip a person's flesh and it would bruise the body. And every time the whip came down on Jesus, it left nine bloody marks, often pulling out skin and flesh as he recoiled. And, and I don't know if you know this, but the torture was so painful that there was a Roman law that said you could never give more than 40 strikes because 40 would usually kill a man from, from blood loss. It said, and I quote, if you give more than 40 strikes, then the person who administered the punishment will be given 
the same punishment. Now think about this, 39 times 9, that equals 351, 351 marks on the body of Jesus. His back and his stomach, scholars tell us, medical professionals tell us, and his legs were one bloody pulp, almost unrecognizable long before he even went to the cross. But some would say that Jesus died so, well, his followers could experience prosperity theology. One little problem. The disciples didn't get the memo. James, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder, was beheaded. Philip was scourged, thrown into prison, and then crucified. Matthew was slain with a sword. James the less, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded, just in case. Andrew was crucified and then left hanging on the cross for three days. Peter, many of you know this, was crucified upside down at his own request because he was not worthy to die as his Savior did. Jude, Thaddeus was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten with clubs and then crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Simon the Zealot was crucified. And John, it seems like he almost got off easy, right? He was exiled to the island of Patmos and left to die to rot in a prison cell alone. (laughs) Okay, okay, I know. Some people are saying, well, um, prosperity theology people would say that this, this really actually started after the disciples started the church with their, their martyrdom, with their sacrifice. Thus, prosperity theology now in the New Testament era beyond the disciples is free for all to enjoy. Really? On March 9th, 2009, eight years ago, Shaquilla Bibi, a Christian, practicing Christianity in a part of the world that Uh, wasn't too, nor is too fond of Christianity to this day. She smiled to herself. She was really excited. She was baking some bread, and she was remembering the day before, March 8th, 2009, that she and her husband had gone to a a small Presbyterian church, and they just loved the message. I mean, it was their church, but they were just really overjoyed. And she thought to herself, I want to go back to the women's, I want to go back to the Bible study the next day, Monday. And so she made bread for the Bible study. And as she pulled the bread out of the oven and she began to wrap the bread, she heard noises outside and shouting and yelling and she heard like, like wood hitting, slapping against something. But she thought, you know, the boys are always out there playing cricket. They're always out there hitting each other and yelling and I'm sure that's all they're doing. And so she walked out the door, the sun was in her eyes, she couldn't really see and she was looking for all the boys playing cricket, but she didn't see boys, she saw angry men eight years ago. And they were moving pretty fast with guns and bats in their hands towards the little Presbyterian church. And, and she had a decision to make. Like, you know, one of those, I'm in the moment. Like, I know and love Jesus. And, 
and those people in that church know and love Jesus, and like I could just step back inside my house, or I could run and tell them the danger is coming. And so she did. Later they found her bread, and she dropped it right there. And she ran as fast as she could, but they had a pretty good head start on her to, to, the, to the church. And as she was running to the church, that's when they, they heard the first shots fired. And everyone kind of froze. And some of the people in the church, actually all the people in the church, they came out. And they were very afraid. And she realized, I'm not going to get there in time. But she made a valiant effort, but the men cut her off. The first blow knocked her to the ground. And instinctively, as you can imagine, she, she put up her, her arms to block further, further blows. But when she did that, they, they broke her arms. And so she, her arms were useless. She couldn't use them. She was at the mercy of, of this angry man who was hitting her with a bat. But he gave her no mercy. Where's the prosperity theology? And he hit her over and over and over and blood began to gush from her face and she began to taste the warm blood in her mouth. And then her head began to spin and everything went dark. An hour later, a man knelt on the ground next to her body, and with gentle hands, he wrapped the lifeless form of his wife in a clean cloth and quietly carried her away, tears streaming down his his face. You see, when, when Jesus preached that message, early on in his ministry on a mountainside. He knew what was coming. He knew what was coming for him and for his followers. You see, it wasn't a matter of of if there would be persecution. It was when. Welcome back to our series on the Beatitudes. This morning we finish up we come to the eighth and final beatitude. And quite frankly, um, and I'm at the top of the list, many of us would like to take a pass on persecution and suffering. Even as I was studying this and looking at all sorts of different things, a lot of people don't even cover it. Like they do the first seven beatitudes where they, they kind of go MC Hammer, don't touch this. They don't go, they don't want to mess with this one. Sorry, real old, Google that. <laughs> Google it, but don't don't watch it. So... They're like, whoa, you know, oh man, in my culture, this just isn't applicable. Maybe the question is, should it be though, right? Do me a favor, open your Bibles if you haven't already to the New Testament gospel of Matthew. It's the first, first gospel, first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Open your Bible apps to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. You can follow along there. We have an outline for you. If I get going too fast or they're moving too fast on the screen, most of what's being said should be in that outline. Let's, Let's read the word of God. Jesus said, I didn't say this. A pastor didn't make this up. 
Jesus said, blessed, happy, literal translation, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, verse 11, are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, last week, it was an amazing message. If you didn't hear it, do me a favor, go online and uh, listen to the podcast. Jim talked about peacemakers. And he looked at peace in two ways. Uh, the first way he looked at peace is peace through Christ. The only way we can have peace, there's no other way, is, is through Jesus. And then he talked practically, which is probably more what the Beatitude was talking about. How do we have peace with others? How do we mediate? How do we get along? How do we come alongside others and be, be peaceful? And he gave us some real practical t- tips on how to receive peace and, and how to be a peacemaker. And I know some of you are thinking, you're thinking, well, this is really crazy. Um, last week... Jim talks about peace. This week, you talk about persecution. It it seems kind of out of place that Jesus would move from peacemaking to persecution, from harmony to hostility. But let me just say this. Not all attempts at reconciliation succeed. The Bible says that we're we're to do the best that we can to make peace, um, but sometimes it doesn't work. And no matter how hard we try to make peace with some people, some people will refuse to, to live it at peace with us. We just need to make sure it's not us that gets in the way, right? Like if it's the gospel that offends them, and the Bible says the gospel will offend, then so be it. But we don't need to be offensive by, by horrible things that we say or by actions, right? As a matter of fact, I, I believe that if we live according to the first seven Beatitudes, we will automatically experience The eighth, it's kind of like a formula, right? It's like an equation. If we are the person of verses three through nine, we'll get the persecution of of verses 10 through through 12. I mean, think about it. You know, you've been around people, even yourself, many in this room who know and love Jesus, people who really recognize that they're, they're poor in spirit and they mourn over their sin. Sometimes in their hunger and thirst after righteousness, you're like, oh, you're too crazy for Jesus. You're too convicting. Tone it down a little bit, man. And even as believers, we get convicted by, by other believers, right? You can imagine, like, people in the world when they see that. And, and if you're merciful or you're meek, boy, you can be taken advantage of. And that peacemaker thing, it sounds great, right? As a peacemaker, you're in the middle. But what happens when you're in the middle? You get crushed. I mean, it happens often, right? <clears throat> What's hard about this beatitude is, is this. Um, we all like to be liked. Being liked feels like a blessing from God, doesn't it? Like we like to be the coolest person in the room. We like to walk into a setting and everyone's upset or feels a little judgmental and go, hey, hey, take it back. Whoa, who am I to judge? Hey, whoa, that's enough for me to decide. I mean, we kind of, we like to be the coolest person in the room. We want everyone to like us. And it was no different in Jesus' culture, by the way. Not just wanting to be liked, but in Jesus' culture, and going back way beyond that in this Jewish culture, was if you were suffering or you were persecuted, that wasn't a badge of honor. That means you were cursed by God. You remember in Job, right? 
Satan comes before God and he's like, hey God, your servant Job, I know he's, he's pretty amazing, but let me have him for a little bit. And I promise you, he'll deny you, he'll curse you. And God says, okay, take him. What does is, what is, what is Satan do? It's mind-boggling to us. God allows him to kill his, his livelihood, basically his animals, and then to kill his servants, and then to kill his family. And he leaves him with, with his wife. And I think he wished that he'd killed his wife. You've got to read the book. And he leaves him with the three friends, right? Three friends. And all they do is sit around all the time and say, Job, curse God and die, because obviously you sinned. And in the Beatitudes, as he's been doing for the first seven Beatitudes, Jesus reverses that. He gives us the inside scoop on on what this really means, right? That it's not only okay to suffer for God and be persecuted, but if you're living like like Jesus, it's going to happen. Okay, two thoughts about persecution. Uh, For the follower of, of Jesus, first thought is persecution is to be expected. This beatitude tells us, that, tells us that there are two reasons why we should expect to be persecuted. First reason, and we're going to build an outline this morning. We're going to keep building this thing. First reason we should expect to be persecuted is because of the life we live. Because of the life we live. Sadly, some of us in this room, we've kind of bought in to this, this idea that once I became a Christian, um, it was like winning the lottery, Right? Uh, I don't mean just going to heaven. We'll talk about that later. But I mean, like, I'm going to get all the good stuff now. I'm going to have peace and prosperity and financial blessing. And it's going to be amazing. And we've kind of bought into that, right? Actually, the Bible says the exact opposite will happen for those who actually honor and obey Jesus Christ. Jesus never taught the prosperity gospel. He just didn't. But he did teach at times, like this morning, the persecution gospel. So, Let's look again, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Jesus said, blessed are those who are are persecuted because of, now underline this word, righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Twofold, this word is used twofold. Number one, um, there is practical righteousness and there is legal righteousness. Legal righteousness is salvation is a transaction that took place on a cross, Jesus, and he died for our sins, and he nailed that that transaction to the cross, and we are declared righteous. Practical righteousness basically means this, we live the life that Jesus would live. We live the life that Jesus would live. And so, it's interesting to me, let me just kind of get in this for a second and it may not mean anything to anyone else but I went back and I looked at and I actually taught on it the fourth beatitude those who hunger and thirst for righteousness same exact word and I combined it with our beatitude today right those who are persecuted for righteousness same and here's what I got ready it means this we take the fourth and the eighth and we bring them together we're to hunger and thirst after a kind of life that will cause cause some people to persecute us for our faith that we are so madly in love with Jesus and we are filled by his pleasure and his presence and his power and not by all the junk in this world that some people go, hey, that's awesome. Others go, I hate you. I hate you. And we'll unpack that because they don't really hate you, but we'll talk about that. 
So, righteousness is a lifestyle that distinguishes us as true Christians and invites opposition from, from the world. Jesus, in, in talking to his disciples, he, he gives them some instructions, right? At, at various times, he kind of pull them aside. And he kind of gives them an, somewhat of an end times type of instruction in Matthew 24 and, and verse 9. I don't have it up there, but let me read it for you. He says that the disciples, and most scholars think when he's talking to the disciples there, they represent the church here, now. So he's talking to the disciples, but he's talking to us. And he says this in verse 9, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by, ready? All nations because of me. And I know what many of you are thinking. You're thinking, oh, Lee, Lee, this is America. I'm about to break into Lee Greenwood, proud to be an American right now. This is America. That's not happening. Not yet. But the times, they're a-changing, right? In their book, Good Faith, which we studied in the fall, we went through a good part of it here on Sunday mornings. David Kinnaman and, and Gabe Lyons, they had some some pretty frightening statistics. And I, I want to put these statistics up there. I thought this was interesting. 60% of Americans believe that if you try to convert someone to your faith, you share the gospel. You share the gospel. That you are a social extremist. And, and the definition literally was this. Um, way out of the norm and totally inappropriate. This isn't up there. 43% of people who are polled, this is amazing, and it's through the Barna Group as well, Barna Research Group, very extensive. 43% of those who were polled said that uh, Christianity is the reason for the problems in America today and it should be removed. Check out this next statistic. It's interesting. 52% believe if you pray for a stranger in public, it's social extremism. Now, hey, usually the person being prayed for is like, ooh, thank you. But those around might be like, hey, this is awkward, inappropriate, and totally out of the norm. 42% believe that if you leave a good job to pursue mission work, um, you are a social extremist. 25, this is interesting. 25% of adults believe that if you have sex, you save sex until marriage. Uh, make sure you hit the word save. Save sex until marriage. That is social extremism. You're nuts. Like, something's wrong with you. Like, like, no, really. Something's wrong with you. You say, well, Lee, hey, man, I live here, right? What, what am I supposed to do? Um, we need to, we need to uh, remember the words of the Apostle Paul to his young disciple Timothy, young pastor Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse, verse 12. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will. Some, pers- some, some uh, translations shall, will or shall be persecuted. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, 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 Paul, how can you make such a broad statement? The implication there is if I'm really godly, I'll, I'll be persecuted. What if I'm never persecuted? Huh. 
John Piper commenting on this verse says this. It's good. It's really good. I'll read it slow. He's a retired pastor, theologian, brilliant guy. He says he, Paul, makes this statement on the basis of a deep conviction about the nature of Christianity and the nature of the sinfulness of man like they're they're opposed, right? He is convinced that there is such a tension between the message and way of life of and, and the way of life of Christians on the one hand, and the mindset and way of life of the world on the other, um, that conflict is inevitable. First reason persecution is to be expected is because of the life we live. Second reason persecution is to be expected is because of the Jesus we love. Um, write this down. Persecution is not about me. (laughs) It's not about me. It's never been about us. John chapter 15 and verse 18, we're in the upper room now. We're a week away or less from Jesus going to the cross and he's giving some marching orders to the disciples. And he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Like I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, wait a second. I got a lot of unbelieving friends and I even watch some shows and I, you know, I, I'm pretty dialed in and a lot of people, they love Jesus. They love bearded Jesus, flowing hair, piercing eyes, sashed robe, Birkenstocks, who's doing good deeds that they approve of. But all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, by the way, um, I am the definite article in grammar, which means the one and only. I am the one and only way, the one and only life, and the one and only truth. And no man, woman, or child comes to the Father unless they come through me. You know what they say? <laughs> I don't like that, Jesus. You don't get to choose. Right? If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Hey, if the world has given you a hand clap all the time, you better check yourself, right? Woo, the world thinks I'm awesome, I'm cool, I don't judge. Doctrine, eh, you know, I love Jesus good enough. Well, well, as it is, you do not belong to the world. Praise God, we're not children of the world anymore, but we're children of God. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Ready? Because of me. Underline that. Three words. Because of me. It's, it's not on account of you. It's Jesus they're upset with. 1982, 17 years old, I get invited to a youth group. From the youth group, I get invited to an old-fashioned revival. I'm, I am literally uh, the, the king of all pagans. I'm the worst there is. I've got the car, the money, Um, the influence, and I am directing all of my friends into doing very bad things. I'm a bad person. And then I hear the gospel, and the Holy Spirit softens my heart and draws me to himself, and I come to know and love and follow Jesus. I'm 17 years old in a non-believing Jewish Southern California background. I, I didn't even know Jesus was real until I heard the gospel. I thought he was fictional. 
And all of a sudden, I go from proud pagan, and I was, to somewhat soft, pliable, loving follower of Jesus. And all I want to do is tell my friends and family about the love of Jesus and that you can spend eternity with him. And I got a big get out of my face. Three of my friends said, I will beat you up if you tell me about Jesus again. My aunt and uncle told my mom, do not bring Lee Jr. to our family gatherings if he's going to talk about Jesus. I just want, I want to tell you about the love of, shut up. Now I know some of you are going, well, South, Mid-South, Midwest, Southern California a little bit different. If people are saying evil about you because it's true, if people are confronting you because you are offensive, you are rude, you are angry, you're a hypocrite, that's a you issue and not a Jesus issue. Right? Whether you like it or not, you gotta, you got to earn the right to be heard. And so next time you're standing in line <clears throat> at a coffee shop or, or the grocery store or you're in school trying to get a class and you're frustrated or you're in your office and you're really, really mad at your boss and you want to tell everyone behind his or her back, back that you're mad, remember, you may be the only Jesus that they get to see and hear and feel and experience. And remember, they are made in the image of God and you are a light bearer of the Most High God. You say, man, what if I make a mistake? Repent, ask for forgiveness, move on. That's Jesus. This is not some kind of pronouncement of blessing on anybody who suffers any kind of confrontation. This is all about those who are persecuted because they are identified with Jesus Christ. That's the issue. In other words, let me summarize. Jesus is saying, if you take my cause, if you preach my gospel, if you speak my truth, and, and they persecute you for that, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Let me just say, I know this isn't, as I said earlier, isn't happening very much now in, in America, but in much of the rest of the world, this goes on all the time. So I thought, hey, we need to get a, a sample size from the rest of the world. And so we are privileged at this time to bring up um, Pastor Fernando Flores and his youngest daughter, Suri, who is going to translate for her dad. And I'm going to ask them some questions about their ministry overseas. So come on up. Let me give you a little background. I, I had the privilege uh, Friday of meeting uh, with Pastor and um, his, his uh, wife, Julie, and their three daughters, Ellie, Dama, and Suri, and they're, they're the real deal. Like for an hour and a half, we just fellowshiped, and they told stories, and I was, I didn't tell them this, but I was convicted and overwhelmed and challenged. I think you will be this morning as well. Um, they, they're from Mexico. God is so incredible, right? He takes them from Mexico 
and he brings them to Spain and then Morocco. And then since, night, since 2007, they have served in Jordan, the Middle East. And they serve in two international churches, a Spanish congregation and at the Alliance Church in Amman for the Sudanese um, International Church. In addition, they work alongside other churches and organizations in Jordan serving uh, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of refugees, families. They visit over 80 refugee families, primarily uh, Syrian Muslim refugees living on the border city of al Mufraq in Jordan. We just sent Lee Lester there. And many of those families are, are now believers because of their families. Let me just ask him a couple questions and his daughter will interpret. Now, he knows more English than he's letting on. So, but he was just a little nervous about that. He, God is amazing. He speaks as all of his family does, his daughters, his wife. He speaks English, Spanish, and um, Arabic. Arabic. So, yeah, yeah, I know. It's gonna get more convicting. Okay, here we go. Um, this is... This is unique work. This is dangerous work. Um, tell us about your calling. Why the Middle East? It was a direct calling from God. He told us about this through prophecies, visions, dreams. Cuando yo estuve seguro de ello, se lo comenté a mi pastor, que era mi mentor. When I was completely sure about this calling, I talked about it to my mentor, my pastor. Y él me dijo, Fernando, ¿cómo me decepcionas? And he said, Fernando, you really disappoint me. Y eso me, me confundió, entonces fui con mi hermana, que era la más espiritual de mi familia. That really confused me, so I went to my older sister, um, she's the most spiritual one of my family. Y le dije sobre el llamado de ir al Medio Oriente. Y él me dijo, estás loco, ¿cómo se te ocurre? Y tienes tres hijas, you tus hijas daughters. no valen allá. Girls don't have value there. Me dio muchas razones por cuáles no ir. Entonces yo volví a orar y le dije, Dios, por favor, si esto es tuyo, dame una, una prueba más de esto. So I prayed again and I said, God, if this calling is really from you, give me one more confirmation. Y Dios envió un grupo de Noruega a nuestra iglesia donde yo pastoreaba. And then God sent a group from Norway to my church. Y entre ellos me dio un joven de 18 años que veía visiones. Between them was an 18-year-old boy that saw visions. Y él tuvo una visión de mi familia. Él no sabía español, no, no nos conocía de nada, no sabía nada de nosotros. He didn't know Spanish, he didn't know anything about us. Pero él empezó a decir, yo veo en esta visión que ustedes eh, se cuidaron para no tener a sus hijas seguidas. But he said, in this vision I see that you tried not to have kids in the beginning. Y, y cómo Dios intervino milagrosamente. But I see how God intervened in a miraculous way. Y él nos dijo, es porque Dios le interesaba mucho que nacieran estas tres hijas de ustedes. Porque Dios les va a enviar al Medio Oriente. God will send them to the East. Y las va a usar con gran poder. And will use them with power. Y, y eso ha sucedido. And this has y gracias a Dios por su llamada. And thank God for his calling. Quick side note, if spiritual mentors and even Christian parents say no, but God says yes, go with God. Mm -hmm. I know, 
spiritual mentors and Christian parents, you're mad at me, but take it up with God, right? <laughs> right? Next question. Share, you've got, they've got many, many, but I had, had them narrow it down to one. Share one story uh, about refugees that, you, that you've ministered to who are followers of Jesus who are being persecuted for their faith. Sí, vamos a contar la historia de Najwa, que es una refugiada sudanesa. We're going to tell the story of Najwa, she's a Sudanese refugee. Ella empezó a venir a la iglesia cuando tenía 10 años. She started coming to the church when she was 10 years old. Empezó a escuchar las enseñanzas que daba mi esposa. She started hearing the teachings that my wife gave. Y ella empezó a escuchar que Jesús murió en la cruz. And she started hearing that Jesus died on the cross. Y entonces fue con el pastor sudanés y le preguntó, quiero saber la verdad. And so she went to the Sudanese pastor and she said, I want to know the truth. Eh, ¿Quién tiene la razón, el Corán o la Biblia? Who is right, the Quran or the Bible? Porque el Corán dice que no murió en Because la cruz. Pero estoy viendo en la Biblia que dice que murió y resucitó. But the Bible says that he did die and that he resurrected. ¿Quién tiene la razón? Who is right? Y el pastor dijo, no te voy a decir quién tiene la razón. The pastor told her, I'm not going to tell you who's right. Tú ora a Dios y que Dios te diga quién tiene la razón. You pray to God and God will tell you who is right. Pregúntale a Dios esta noche. Ask him this night. La niña oró a Dios. The girl prayed. Y Jesús se le apareció en una visión. And Jesus revealed to her in a vision. Y le dijo, lo que el maestro Fernando y la maestra Julie te enseñan, esa es la verdad. Yo morí por ti y resucité por ti. I died for you and I for you. Y ella recibió a Cristo en su corazón. And she Jesus in her heart. Le hicimos una fiesta. We made party. Le compartió a su familia. She this with her su familia dijo, no, su mamá dijo, no puedes traicionarnos, tú eres musulmana. Betray as you are Muslim. Y empezó a golpearla. And she started hitting her. Le encerró en un cuarto. She locked her in her room. Le dijo, no quiero que jamás vuelvas a ir a esa iglesia. She said, I want you to never go back to that church again. Y la niña nos envió un mensaje de texto de lo que pasaba. But the girl was able to secretly send us a message and tell us about her situation. Y entonces mi esposo y yo nos empezamos a orar para saber cuándo debíamos de ir a visitar y enfrentar a la mamá. My wife and I started praying to know and when exactly the time was right to go to visit um, her mom and her. Al tercer día, Dios nos dijo, Hoy vayan. On the third day after fasting, um, God told us today you can go. Cuando llegamos al hogar, la mamá recién llegaba del hospital. When we went to their house, the mom was just arriving from the hospital. El médico le había dicho de una enfermedad muy grave que tenía en su corazón. The doctor told her that she had a heart problem. Y mi esposa le dijo, le dijimos, podemos orar por usted y Jesús la puede sanar. My wife and I told her, we can pray for you and Jesus can heal you. Y oramos por ella y Jesús la sanó. And we prayed for her and Jesus healed her. Y toda la familia viene a la iglesia ahora. And from that day on, all the family started going to church. Wow. Sí. Okay. Praise the Lord. Now you know why I'm convicted. I, I don't know if I've ever taken three days to pray and fast before I shared the gospel with somebody. Um, God will honor that. There's power in that. And so I, I'm grateful for their example. Well, let me ask you one last question. Um, what can we pray for? A nosotros nos gustaría mucho que oraran por un 
movimiento de multiplicación de discípulos que ha iniciado en el Medio Oriente y que queremos que crezca más y más. We really want to, um, to pray for a movement of multiplication of disciples that is already happening, but we want it to grow and to continue in the Middle East. Quisiera que oramos por los niños y adolescentes que están escuchando el Evangelio en We el Medio Oriente. Like y si pudieran orar por todos los pastores que también están recibiendo una visión de, de, de plantar iglesias. This has been, Cherry, you come up too, but I'm going to have Dean pray. This has been Dean and Cherry's heart for, for many, many years. Of course, it's what they've done in Jordan and other places in the world. Mm -hmm. And their passion is to see God mobilize the nations um, to go back to their people and share the gospel. And that's what my brother here is asking. He's asking that God would raise up all these 75, 80 nations that they've been blessed to be able to minister to and see many come to know Jesus to raise up, multiply them, and Lord willing, send them back or send them to their people groups. So do me a favor. And also, let me just say this. He wouldn't say this. They're going to be here for a little bit longer in the States, and they go 10 months back down to Mexico to raise money back to their home church and other churches, and then they go back to Jordan. So just pray that God would meet their needs. If you want to know more, about their ministry, as well as the ministry of Terry and Melissa Rhodes. They have a table set up in the back, Refugee Aid um, um, Ministry. It's amazing what the Rhodes are doing both here and overseas. If you want to learn more about that, as well as the Florida's ministry, head on back and they'll give you information. Dean, we pray. Father God, you are wonderful and great and worthy. And I'm so glad that you brought um, my friend Fernando to Northwest Arkansas to, to bless us with what you are doing. It is about you. It is about what you have done, will do, and, and, and you're going to use this family continue. Thank you for these daughters. I've seen their hands work. I've seen them uh, use their skills. You have fulfilled the promise you made to this family. Uh, you made you made a promise to use us, and and just as Abraham did, he left a land he knew to a place he didn't know, and and you used this family in the same manner. And I'm grateful that uh, you will provide them with all their financial needs that they need. Um, you will fulfill um, the 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 honor that you will receive out of out of Jordan, out of the Middle East. You are doing something great by moving 67 million refugees all over the world. You're moving them around so that they can come into contact with people here in Northwest yes. Arkansas. Yes, all over the U.S. as you allow, all over Germany, all over the uh, Europe and into Jordan, Father God, and use this family. I do pray that you send more laborers into the harvest, more Latin Americans who can use their language skills, Who, um, as, as we see that 4,000 words in Arabic are exactly the same in Spanish. Mm. Father God, um, thank yes. you for that. You planted that way in advance. So use that. Use more Latin Americans in the, in the Middle East. Use us. Uh, send us. Teach us how to pray harder. Teach us how to go harder. How to send harder. Mm. And how to mobilize more. Thank you for this day. Bless this family, carry them, and return them soon so that their work can be finished, the work that you have begun in them. In Jesus' name.
You can clap again. They're amazing. All right. We're going to wrap this up. I don't want to leave you hanging. First thought about persecution for the follower of Jesus, it's to be expected. Second thought about persecution, and it gets really good now. Persecution brings about joy. Persecution brings about joy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, underline this, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, we generally rejoice when we get good, good news. It's, it's just what we do. and It's interesting, the phrase be glad is, is a command. And it means literally to leap forth with exuberant gladness, to jump with exceeding excitement. So I know, I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. Jesus, why would you command us in the midst of persecution to jump? I mean, to jump with gladness and, and to, to leap with, with excitement. And the text gives us two reasons. The first reason is this. Persecution confirms our relationship with Jesus. It is the certificate of Christian authenticity. We should rejoice that, that people see Jesus in us. We should rejoice that we're worthy to be persecuted as our Savior was persecuted. Not necessarily in the same way, even though some have been. But in some way, right? In some way, not the exact same way, but in some way, we rejoice, right? First Peter chapter 4 and, and verse 16 says this, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you, that you bear, bear the name. Acts chapter 5, I love this passage. The, the disciples are, are being persecuted by the religious leaders, by the Sanhedrin. They're put in jail. They're released. But as they're releasing them, they beat them. Literally a beating for the road. They disgrace their name and beat their physical bodies. And here's their response. Verse 41, Acts chapter 5. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, leaping for joy uh, and excitement because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Beloved, persecution, suffering, it's our badge of discipleship. But not only are we joyful because persecution confirms our relationship with Jesus, but, but secondly, we're joyful because persecution makes us look forward to our ultimate reward, heaven. Let me just challenge you here. If you're here this morning and you know and love Jesus, and, and I don't know what it took, the world, the flesh, the devil, a combination of all three, but if for some reason you're trying to make this spinning globe your heaven, I, I have a promise for you. It won't work. It won't work. You will be disappointed every time. Not only that, you know what will happen as a believer who tries to make this earth your heaven? When you do suffer, and you will, when you are persecuted and and. I, I think you should be, right? Hopefully you will be for Jesus' sake. When those things happen, it'll make you more angry at God. Why? Because he's messing with your heaven. But if your real heaven is God's heaven, everything that comes your way, you go, you know what? I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing because I'm not home yet. I love the way the Apostle Paul put it. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory 
that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? What do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. 401k, college, job, house, car. It's temporary. But we fix our eyes on what is unseen. The eternal. Let me quote Piper one more time. It's pretty good. He says, Jesus wills for us to have our hearts primarily in heaven, our hopes primarily in heaven, our longings primarily in heaven, our joy primarily in heaven. There is no other way that you can rejoice and be glad at the loss of your earthly joys. How shall we rejoice and be glad when these things are taken from us if we have not loved heaven more? And I was reminded of this again last night. It was a painful, beautiful reminder. Ruth and I were here for the night of worship. It was powerful. It was amazing. God was just in in this place, and people were praying, and we were singing, and it was just awesome. And we had to leave a few minutes early, and as we were heading out the door, almost got to the parking lot, the door that goes to the parking lot. And a young lady, godly young lady, precious young lady, she chased us down. And she called out our names. You know, as a pastor, I'm always nervous about that. Am I going to get rebuked again? And so you never know. And so, and uh, she comes up and she's very emotional. And she says, hey, um, I'm guesstimating, but it was about six years ago because she said it, it, it was when she was in high school. And my son was in high school. And she said, let me just tell you this. Um, I, and this doesn't happen to me, but I had a vision about you and your family. And I said, oh, Really? And, and the vision was um, all of you were together rejoicing and praising Jesus in heaven. First of all, I was glad that I was in heaven, not the other place. That made me feel good, right? Thank you. And she said, in my vision, your daughter was with you rejoicing. And for those of you who don't know our story, we've lost four children, one miscarriage, three Three children, two boys and a little girl, Esther Grace, who died at two hours. We held all three of them in our arms as they died. Caleb was, was one, um, uh, Esther Grace was two hours, and Micah was five months. And Ruth and I, we just stopped. And she said, are, are you okay? And we began to cry. And I said, you just made my life. My longing is not for this world. I catch myself like daydreaming about heaven. And you say, well, because you're so, you're so righteous and so holy. Just the opposite. Just the opposite. I'm such a token of God's amazing grace, and I'm so overwhelmed at times of the sinfulness of this world that I catch myself going, come, Lord Jesus. And I do. I mean, just, you know, a month ago, my, one of my sons who's in heaven now, Caleb, he, he would have turned 23. And I, I always think, God, please don't remind me. And every time that day comes, he reminds me, this was Caleb's birthday. And I think about heaven. Last night was another reminder. Lee, you're not home. Ruth, you're not home. If this is home... Pardon me, but it sucks, right? I think I've earned enough chips, elders, to say that. I think so. We're not home yet. 
And if you're trying to make this heaven, you'll be disappointed every time and you'll be mad at God. But if your eyes are fixed on your real home, your real reality, you'll go, God, though you slay me, I rejoice. Let me pray. Let me pray. As your heads are bowed and you're there in your private altar, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. Come on up, prayer team. and The worship team is going, to, is going to play a song. You're welcome to go up during the song or after the song. If you're new here, this is kind of who we are. At the end of services, we call it ministry time. And um, we want to do things like pray for one another. Maybe you want to be baptized. You've noticed the, the portable baptismal up over there, and you're thinking, I, I just want to be obedient to Jesus' command to be baptized. We'd love to do that. We'll do it after the service. Um, I can do it. A friend can do it. Elder, staff, whoever. Just let us know. Uh, on a weekly basis, we celebrate Jesus' sacrifice through communion. So the elements, the, the bread and the, the juice, the wine, they're over there. We encourage communal celebration. Find somebody and just say thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're like I was back in 1982 at 17. You're, you're right on the cusp of embracing Jesus or you've just done that. So maybe someone needs to, to walk you through what it looks like to be a Christian or maybe you're a brand new Christian and you're like, I need to be discipled. Like, I, I'm new to this. Come talk to us. Let me pray. Jesus, I has not seen nor ear heard nor mind imagined the things that you have prepared for those who love you. We're not home yet. We're not home, but one day. In the meantime, help us to be faithful. Help us to live and, and walk out not just the first seven Beatitudes, that's tough enough, um, but to embrace the eighth not because we're rude or obnoxious or inappropriate, but, but because we're biblically appropriate, even though a little weird. And we're kind and loving, but truthful, God. Help us to represent King Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen.